Well, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Malachi. We're going to look at missions from Malachi this morning. God is faithful. And that's been our theme, faithful in the work. And if we're going to do mission work and get the gospel around the world, we can't do that. Only he can do it. Only he can enable us to be faithful. Haggai 2.4 says, Yet now be strong and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. And this is a great missions promise as well. Any missionary going to any tribe, any part of the world, needs to know that they can be strong and they can work because he is with them. We're looking at the book of Malachi. I think this is our fourth in the series. Uh, this is uh, the divine disputes with a defiant people, but it tells us a lot about our own heart as we often can see ourselves in the book of Malachi. We're looking at Malachi on missions. I didn't know what else to call it, all right? Uh, Malachi is going to talk about missions here. When we got to verse 11 of chapter 1, I skipped it, but I told you we'd be back. So we're back. Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. We're going to read this together and, uh, and see what God would have us to learn about missions from this powerful book. The Bible says, For from the rising of the sun, <clears throat> even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Lord, help us as we look at your word. Keep the devil out, distractions at bay, focus our hearts, calm our hearts, Lord. Just help us to be able to meet with you. And would you speak to us? Use me as your servant as the vessel that you would use, Lord, to communicate your truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's encouraging to me to reflect on this passage and recognize that worldwide missions didn't just show up for the first time in the book of Acts. Acts 1.8 says that ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The uttermost part of the earth. Well, that, that, that's, that's worldwide missions. Uh, but Acts 1.8 is not the first time we see that. It's all through the Bible here in Malachi, and we'll look at some more scriptures as well. This is God's plan to multiply worshipers of his name. From, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And he says it again for emphasis. He repeats it. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. And what are they going to be doing? They're going to be worshiping him with a pure offering and incense. You know what? Worldwide missions can be boiled down to this in its essence. Worldwide missions is about multiplying worshipers of Jesus Christ around the globe. There's a sister church of ours in Corona, Michigan. And uh, their, their uh, catchphrase, if you will, is multiply worship. And uh, Josh Levesque went out of that church to plant Dearborn Baptist Church, reaching Muslims in Dearborn. And their theme is the same as their mother church, multiply worship. And that is what it's about. It is not just about building buildings or hospitals or orphanages or, or humanitarian aid, though those things do have their place in mission work. But those would all be secondary to the number one matter, which is multiplying worshipers of Jesus Christ that the Gentiles and the heathen would give him the glory that he deserves. Well, let's look at this together. We got three points from this verse. One verse this morning, but a lot of truth to consider. Let's look first at the scope of worship in missions. The scope of worship in missions. And there it is in the verse, from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same. And then it says a couple of words later, in every place. This is the scope that God wants to be worshipped in this plan that we call missions. So what's the goal, someone says? How far must we go with the gospel? How far is far enough? How many missionaries do we need to send out? Or how many missionaries does Ann Arbor Baptist Church need to support and take on as our missionaries before we can stop 
Uh, you know, how much money should be raised before we can say the faith promise missions budget is full, all right? Uh, you know, what does God expect here? And can we quantify this? Well, the rising of the sun, where does the sun rise? It rises in the east. Where is it set? It sets in the west. That's an illusion, meaning from coast to coast, from one side to the other. And then that little phrase, in every place, every place in between, every crook and cranny, God is, is, is designed that we would get the gospel to those areas. Several verses that help us to see this in other places of the scripture. First Chronicles 16, 23 and 24 says, Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. All means all. Every place means every place. Psalm 96.3 says, Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. Well, look at these flags. We've got several flags here, and those were chosen uh, purposefully, we chose those flags because we have missionaries in those countries. And Lord willing, as we take on more missionaries, I guess we'll buy more flags, right? But as I look at that, I'm encouraged. And yet at the same time, I'm reminded there's a lot more flags. I, mean, I don't know how, how many flags there are representing how many countries. Maybe some of you guys know that. Someone's going to Google it and tell me after the message. Uh, but there's a lot more countries, a lot more people. We're just really getting started. Now, I don't know how much the Lord will put on the shoulders of this church specifically, but we want to do whatever he leads us to do. We want to be prepared for that. All nations means all nations. Acts 13, 47 says, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. The end of the earth, the place nobody wants to go, the place with maybe the most barbaric people, uh, the most out of touch with technology, uh, you know, that place that has no modern conveniences whatsoever. He's chosen, he's commanded, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. God's plan is for the ends of the earth to even hear the gospel. Isaiah talks about this happening. Isaiah 65, 1, I am sought of them that asked not for me. I'm found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. And every one of us in here ought to be thankful for that verse. Thankful that God would call uh, Jew and Gentile alike, and especially those who, uh, you know, in this case, uh, just some random country out there somewhere, not seeking necessarily, and yet he reaches out and he begins to work in them and draw them to himself. Praise God for that truth. From the rising of the sun to the going down in the same and in every place. Now, if Malachi 1.11 is going to happen literally, that literally every place is going to be reached with the gospel, do you think that it will involve any sacrifice on the part of Christians? Is that just going to happen? The ends of the earth. Oh yeah, it'll get there eventually. How is it going to get there? You know, the God, uh, God did not commit the evangelization of the world to angelic beings. He committed the gospel to human beings. You and I have to somehow, with God's leadership, God's enablement, God's provision, we have to go forward even to the ends of the earth, if the ends of the earth are going to be reached, uh, yes, there will be and already has been great sacrifice. Great sacrifice involved with missionaries of old. Uh, a study was done, <clears throat> and the study says by 2000, about two-thirds of the world's Christians came from countries where Western missionaries worked a century earlier. Did you hear that? Let me read it again. 
by the year 2000, about two-thirds of the world's Christians came from countries where Western missionaries worked a century earlier. So much of what we take for granted, others sacrificed for. Yes, missionaries of old have sacrificed. They've buried their children. They have buried their spouses, buried their co-laborers, suffered incredible persecution, all because they believed that God wanted them to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel, and it was not going to go there on angels' wings. It was going to go there through those feet, the Bible says, are beautiful feet that preach, that bring the gospel and the glad tidings of Jesus Christ. There was a pastor that I, I read, a, I think it was a blog post that he, he put together after he had come back from a missions trip. I do not remember the country that he had gone to. I just read the post. And uh, he recounts a great visit, but while he was there, he, he knew that there was an old, old cemetery uh, for missionaries, old missionary cemetery. He says, I got to go there. I got to visit that while I'm here. So he went, he was reading different tombstones and names, and some he recognized, many he did not. But he said what he came away with it was in this, in this whole cemetery for missionaries, he said most of them were children. By and large, they were children. You know, we got to let that sink in. The way we think about missions today and the way they thought about missions back in the day is different. One of our missionary families goes over and suffers and maybe loses a kid. We're like, oh, come home, come home quick. Save the, save the women and children. I mean, oh, that's terrible. Get, come on back. He, and and, and you, know, you shouldn't have to do that. Not, not today. Like we live in a more civilized uh, world and, and uh, the sacrifices were made back in the day, but uh, sacrifices surely aren't made like that today. Well, I think we're in error when we think that. You, look, you think about Adoniram Judson, J.O. Frazier, Hudson Taylor, and these men who lost so much family and health and everything, they made a huge impact. I was reading about uh, the celebrations that are still made yearly by the nationals who are grateful for the coming of Adoniram Judson. Think of it, all these years later, there are converts and converts of converts and converts of converts who get together and say, thank the Lord for sending us Adoniram Judson. But that took sacrifice. That took a great, great sacrifice. We look at this and, and I, I can't help but think of five men who made the ultimate sacrifice. Paul, uh, Roger, Udarian, Pete Fleming, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and Ed McCauley. How many of you have seen those faces before or seen those names before? If you haven't, then I'm going to give you some homework. This is mission month. You didn't know you're going to get homework. You got to go home and you got to Google those guys and you need to read about what they did. Every single Christian needs to know their story. So if you don't know the story, don't feel bad. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just telling you, you got to hear this. Go home and read it. There's also books that were written. At the end of the spear is one of them. And there's a couple other books. There's a couple of movies that were made. Uh, there's lots of, of stuff on YouTube. You go home and read the story, but let me just suffice it to say, these men were called to Ecuador with their families in the 1950s. And uh, they were going to reach this tribe uh, called the Akas. They call them different things as well. But the Akas, they were a, an undisturbed people group that was very hostile to anyone who, who would disturb them. They had been known to spear people to death who would come and disturb them deep in the jungles of Ecuador. These five men and their families, women and children, they believed that every place meant every place. So they couldn't rest knowing that there's a tribe here that is so sequestered that, that, that no one has ever reached them. No, someone has to reach them with the gospel. And so they set out getting a plan to do it. Nate Saint was a, a pilot. God used him to have make several inventions that have, have helped aviators ever since and missionary pilots ever since. His son has carried on that work and done a great job with that. They, they would, uh, he would fly in a circle and let a, a, a bucket down and it would have gifts and they would exchange gifts. And then they thought they were really making progress because the Akas actually gave some gifts to them. Hey, that's, that's good. So they had several contacts, several gift drops. And then 
uh, they, they finally decided it's time to make contact. So these five men, without their wives and children, they landed the plane on the beach on January 3rd, 1956. Uh, my dad was born in 1956. So this was the same year. From January 3rd to January 8th, they had several contacts. They exchanged some gifts. Seeing things seemed to be going okay. And then the Akas, again, this is a primitive people with darkness. They, they began to fear that they were being lured into a trap. And uh, they decided that they were not going to let this happen. And so the Akas turned on these five men and speared them to death. Uh, the men did have a gun and they did fire it into the air, maybe to call for help, maybe as a warning, but they did not shoot anyone, didn't even try to shoot anyone. They, wasn't, they weren't there for that. They gave themselves up. Knowing they had kids, knowing they had wives, they allowed themselves to be sacrificed. On January 8, 1956, all five men were murdered. This made the news. They, they, this went around the world. This uh, National Geographic picked up the story back in 1956, and it was, it was everywhere. And this was the topic of coffee conversations. Five crazy men, five lunatics left widows and orphans, you know. What were they thinking? But you know what? It wasn't just unsaved people having those conversations. It was Christians as well. And you know, not every Christian thought that these five men should have done what they did. How reckless, how irresponsible. These were married men and in the prime of their lives. I mean, you read the stories about all five of those men and, and they were smart. They had they were talented. They were athletes. You're looking at a couple guys up there who are great athletes and all this. What a waste. So many people said there's got to be a better way to do it. They should have had a better plan. They shouldn't have been so hasty and all this woulda, shoulda, and all that sort of thing. And you know, can't you look back at anything that went wrong and say, I could have done it this way and that way? And Anyone can do that. Maybe there was another way they could have done it. But this was the way that God used to open up the Alka Indians to Christ. It was an unthinkable sacrifice leaving widows and children, but it turned out with unimaginable returns. Those Alkas all were saved when the widows went back to reach them. Widows and children, you have to look at the pictures. You have to look at, look at the documentary. You, you can do that on your own. It's faith building. It's it, it's amazing to see. And they got saved one by one. These guys got saved. And then Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint, was baptized by the guy who killed his dad. Menkei or something like that. I can't say his name. I got a picture in there somewhere of him. Uh, and, and then that man who baptized, there's Steve Saint right there. The, that man who killed Nate Saint, and baptized his son, became kind of a father figure to Steve, uh, kind of taking the, the, the place of his, of his actual father. And they, they traveled together, and they spoke. And, and, and this man gave the gospel around the world. God greatly used him. And the gospel still has made a huge impact in Ecuador through that tribe to this day. Now you say, wow, that's amazing. But, you know, that was back in the 50s, and you know, this is 2021. And so like that doesn't happen today, right? I mean, because this is more, we're in a more civilized Christianity, more civilized world. And I mean, God, God doesn't expect those kinds of sacrifices today, right? You know, I think we need to recognize that our American Christianity is getting soft and dumbed down at an alarming rate where we can almost look at these five guys and say, Nah, something went wrong there somewhere. There's just no way a good, loving God would, would, would have these guys leave their wives and widows and the children fatherless. And there's just no way God would have drawn that up. These guys had to miss the boat somewhere. Folks, all I say is if you struggle with this at all, your thinking has become more secular than it has become scriptural. And we today... Think of martyrdom as kind of an old-fashioned thing. 
You read Fox's Book of Martyrs about all these guys who died for their faith way back in the dark ages when people had to do that. But thank God we don't have to do it today. Wait a minute. No, there are people today who are giving their lives for their faith in other parts of this world. Maybe even today, some Christians are being killed for their faith. We live in an American bubble. That bubble will burst one day. But we need to recognize God means to get his name out among the heathen, Malachi 1.11 says. That he would be worshipped. And in this case, Malachi 1.11 was fulfilled in Ecuador, but five men's lives was the cost. When God says... I will be worshipped from the sun rising to the sun setting and in every place in between among the heathen and among the Gentiles. He didn't say it would be easy or would happen all by itself or it wouldn't take any sacrifice on our part. We, have, we live in this American Christianity where we would say, no, but, but God wants me to be happy. But God, God wants me to do this. And I, I, think, I, think, I think God wants me to live a life of, of more pleasure and all the Christian blessings and so forth. Where do we come up with this? That God's chief concern is our happiness or our pleasures. He says, at my right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And God is good. And let me tell you, folks, God was good to those five men. And God was good to those widows. And God was good to those kids. God was not, and, and they did experience pleasure and they're experiencing even more now. We just have to think biblically. Have we embraced an idea of Christianity that is not biblical? What sacrifices are we willing to make in order to see the gospel advance in every place across this globe? There are closed doors legally that Christians still find a way through. You mean to say there's Christian missionaries who go into closed countries against the law? Yes, it's been happening ever since the Apostle Paul. And that's the way the gospel begins to impact those closed countries. Well, God wouldn't tell us to break the law or put our lives at risk or do anything reckless. Every place means every place. We have to obey God rather than men. You know, when Paul pulled himself out of a pile of rocks. Why was he in a pile of rocks? They had stoned him to death or tried to. That was the way they would do it back then. Heap up the stones and leave them for dead. God didn't let him die that day. He pulled himself out. The Lord pulled him out and he walked on and kept preaching. And then a little bit later, he says to, his, to, to Barnabas, let's go back to those cities and see how they do. Now that's nuts. You just barely got out of the rubble heap with your life. I think they don't want you there. I think it's illegal or something. I think God, God said no. God said go a different way. No, we're going to go back and see how they do. We left Christian believers there. Christians have done things like this from the beginning, folks. This is not reckless. Well, maybe it is reckless. Maybe it is radical. Maybe, radical. maybe reckless and radical is what Christianity is. I had a dinner, not, not a dinner, I had coffee with a young man who said, I, I, I'm a Christian, I love God, but I just don't want to be radical. I just want to be a normal Christian. I said, open up to the book of Acts and let me show you what a normal Christian looks like. It's radical. The scope. We've seen the scope. Let's move quickly to number two, the sincerity so what is our responsibility to, to see Christ's name from east to west and everyone in between? We have a part to play in the scope, but also God is concerned about the sincerity of worship in missions. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering. Here in the book of Malachi, of course, this, this verse 11 is wedged into the rest of chapter 1, which is dealing with what? Worship that was deviant. Worship that was defiled. It was lacking. They were giving sacrifices to God that he says you wouldn't even give that to your governor. 
You call me a father, but you don't give me the respect of a father. You, you don't give me the respect of your employer. You don't, you don't give me respect. You don't give me first. You just give me the leftovers and the scraps. What, what are you doing? This isn't worship. That's Malachi 1. And Malachi 1, we already preached through Malachi 1, but as a review, uh, you, you know, he, he calls out all that they're doing, but in the middle of it, he has this verse 11. Wedged in the middle of all this. You're not worshiping, worshiping me right. You're not worshiping me right with sincerity. But guess what? I will find someone who will if I have to go to the ends of the earth to do it, into the earth to do it, and I will. I'm going to go around the globe with the gospel, and there will be people who you call heathen, who you call Gentiles, who will praise my name, and they will give me a pure offering if you won't. Now, we could read over this very easily as Gentiles, but a Jew wouldn't. They would read over verse 11 and stop and say, wait, 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 did he just say Gentiles? Wait, did he just say heathen? Hold on. Isn't that what happened with the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul was preaching, and he's preaching away that long message, but when he gets to the Gentiles, it was over. Message done. And they're like, okay, we've heard enough. You mentioned the G word, okay? We don't do that here. Yeah, I think if you were a Jew, you'd, you'd, you'd stop at verse 11 and say, what is he talking about? Especially when he says, in every place incense shall be offered. Where was the incense offered? By the, whole, by the high priest in the temple, and it was very, very carefully done. Yet Malachi says no incense will be offered in every place by heathen. Let me give you a couple of, a couple of verses here. 2 Corinthians 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. He is running all over this world with his eyes looking for someone not who will just throw him a few scraps. Not who says, Lord, yeah, I worship you a little bit here and there. I mean, you got to be glad I, I, I talked to you a little bit, right? That makes you happy? No, he's looking for someone who will, whose heart is perfect toward him. In other words, complete dependence, honoring him with that sincere worship, and he will show himself strong on their behalf. Acts 28, 28. Be it known, therefore, unto you that salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And you know what? They have. And they continue to. The Jews in Malachi's day were missing the point of their worship, thinking that God would just accept anything that they offered to him. And we do the same thing. If I offer it to God, of course he has to be thrilled with it. No. God is not always thrilled with the stuff that we offer him. I've had people get really high and mighty. You can't tell me that God won't accept what I give. I won't tell you anything, but let's look at the Word of God here and we'll see that sometimes God does not accept worship. Start all the way with Cain and Abel from the very beginning. You don't get to choose what is offered to him. He tells you what he will accept from you. So there it is. They will hear it. But we have, uh, we have uh, in John 4, the woman at the well with Jesus she argues over where they're going to worship in this mountain or Jerusalem or whatever. And the Lord says, enough of all that in John 4. In verse 22, he says, you worship, you know, you know not what. And he says in verse 23, the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God gets to define what worship is and whether or not it is accepted. And here he's saying, I will have sincere worship. If not here, Malachi says, then in every place around the world. But incense, let's come back to that again. Incense shall be offered. It is normally offered by the high priest in the temple. So what's he talking about? He's, for, he's kind of foretelling here what God was going to do with worship one day. It's going to be different. Revelation 8.4 even tells us of this. Revelation 8.4 says uh, th that the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. The prayers of the saints. You know, now you can worship God in a dumpster in some third world country and God will hear you. You can worship God in a church. You can worship God at home in your bed. Jew or Gentile, heathen, whatever. 
God says it's going to be different. It's, it's interesting to me, every missions trip I've ever been on, watching people receive Christ with such simplicity and serving him with such sincerity. And I'm thinking, how do they do this? They didn't grow up with any of this. They grew up with Buddha or they grew up with whatever they had. And, 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 and God's changed their hearts so quickly and they just throw their hearts into it. And they're so hungry. And if God's word says it, I do it. And I'm like, wow, how do I get the teenagers in the Christian school you know, to, to respond like, like these people over here? There is a, a simplicity and a sincerity and, uh, and, and God just... Uh, honoring that simple faith and, and meeting them where they are and drawing, drawing them. What about us? Is our, is our offering sincere worship? Are we offering sincere worship to the Lord? Do we think that God needs our offering? I think we think it. God needs America. Oh boy, you know, right now, currently, more missionaries are sent to the world from America than any other country. Second place I heard was Brazil. Last I checked, Brazil. But the Philippines are up there as well, and there's a lot of other, uh, other countries that send a lot of missionaries. You know, we think that we're something else, that God really needs us. Folks, he doesn't need us. He needs sincere worshipers who will put him first. And he can take five loaves and three, two or two or three fishes, and, and he can turn that into something that feeds 5,000. We should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We need to recognize God will find a person, a person and a people that will worship him as he deserves to be worshiped. And the question is, will that be you and me? What are you giving God? So we saw the scope of worship and missions from east to west and every place. The sincerity of, of worship and missions, it's not just something we do. It's not something we just work in. We want to worship him in sincerity and in truth, in spirit and in truth. And thirdly, the supremacy of worship in missions. Verse 11 says, My name shall be great among the Gentiles, for my name shall be great among the heathen. What is it all about? What is missions all about? This month, all about? It's about lifting up Jesus' name, where he's never been named, where humanly speaking, it's an impossibility. How do you go into this? Uh, to the Aka Indians who've never even conceived of a Jesus or a God like this. And how do they all get saved? And now they're going on. It's, 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 it's amazing. And it gives God glory. It's about his name. God deserves to be worshiped by every people, every tongue, and every nation from every corner of the world. That is what, worship, that is what missions is about. Multiplying worshipers of the king. Revelation 8 is a worship service. We're going to peek at that for a moment. Revelation 5, I should say. Revelation 5, verse 8. When they had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne and under the Lamb forever and ever. This is a scene like we've never seen in our life. This is a worship service of worship services. This is amazing. Every kindred, every tongue, and every people, but beyond that, every creature. I can't exactly ex uh, figure out how that's going to work, but that's what it says. Every creature will declare him worthy. This chapter is really the culmination of world missions. This is what it's all about. This is where we're going. Every 
one worshiping God. And he gets the glory. Psalm 96.3 says, Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared among all, above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. He will be great among the Gentiles. His name will be great among the heathen. But the question for us that Malachi helps put to us is, is his name great among us? What kind of a Christianity do we have? What have we gotten used to? I want to ask you, have you heard of this guy as we conclude here? Have you heard of John Allen Chow? Raise your hand if you've heard of John Allen Chow. they got a picture here we'll put on the screen. Let me see, a couple... All right. Okay, not, not a whole lot. You need to be familiar with this guy. All you got to do is Google him and you'll find a lot. There, is a, there was a great write-up by The Guardian, theguardian.com, about his life. When I first heard about him, I heard that an American 26-year-old adventurer had gone to the North Sentinel Island and gotten killed. And I, like many others, weighed in on this. And I said, oh, that's just crazy. Because I knew about North Sentinel Island. A lot of people don't. But I learned of North Sentinel Island, oh, when I was back in college. Uh, so we'll put that up. Here's North Sentinel Island. It's a little island, all woods in the Andaman Sea. India actually supervises it. Um, those are some of the, the, the tribal North Sentinelese right there. I learned of this island when I was in college, and it intrigued me. And when I learned of it, that's all I did that day was research this island. It's fascinating because North Sentinel Island is, uh, is untouched by humanity and civilization and has been untouched, largely untouched for centuries. We don't even know how, how far back. Um, people have tried, anthropologists and different ones have tried to get to it and conduct studies and people have washed up on shore from shipwrecks and basically if you go there, you get killed. You get speared or you get killed by bows and arrows. Uh, nobody really lives to tell the tale. I mean, a few have, uh, there were a few that s survived with their lives. Uh, but it's a very dangerous place to go. They speak a language that we cannot even conceive of. There's nothing we, that, that linguists can even associate it with. The sounds are like nothing we've ever heard. I mean, these people have been sequestered on an island forever. So a lot of stuff they do is going to be totally different than anything we can conceive of. And uh, they're hostile. Um, I, I won't go into all the North St. Lee stuff. You guys can Google that and, and learn that later. You, you do see the, the foam all the way around it. That's due to the, the reef. And so you can't get a boat in there. The, the water's choppy and it's just crazy. And it has protected them. Basically, the natural layout of that island has kept them from people for years. So I learned that a 26-year-old American adventurer in 2018 got killed. I remember when it happened. I was on it immediately. North Sentinel Island, guy gets killed. And I thought, what a crazy, what a crazy guy. Did he not have Google? Could he not read what I read and realize, you don't go there, you're going to die, you know? I, 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 like everybody else, I'm just like, who is this crazy nut? I'm so sorry that that, that had to happen. And then I started learning more. They started calling him a missionary and different things, and, and more stuff comes, comes out, and I began to do some more research, and at first, I was still very critical, and I, I would say the Lord corrected my thinking. You know, at first, I, when I realized, oh, he's a missionary that went to the North Sentinelese, I thought, oh, come on. There, there had to be a better way. I mean, I'm glad you want to reach him. I mean, when I was in college, we sat and talked about how to reach the North Sentinelese, we talked about uh, going to the Andaman Islands and basing from there, and we'd have uh, helicopters fly over and drop stuff off, drop maybe little microphones so we could have hear back in the big island what they're saying and figure out their sounds and all this stuff. You know, we were thinking about it, but he actually did it and died. I didn't want to believe that you had to die to do what we talked about, and so I said, oh, he had to do, he had to done something wrong. You know, I, I don't think that anymore. You know, as I've looked at his life, I've got it all here in my notes. I won't be able to go through it all. I can send this to anybody who wants it. But as I looked at his life, I recognized when he learned about the North Sentinelese as a kid, he set his life to reaching them. And everything he did from that point to 26 was purposeful, planned, 
calculated and coordinated. The college he went to, the training he received, he learned all about first aid. He was, he was a, a, I believe, a paramedic. He was an adventurer, an explorer. I'll put his picture back up if you would. Uh, he, he had a blog and he would, uh, he would uh, uh, document his adventures and live out on the land. And he was so well-known and so well-followed and so well-traveled that he got sponsored by a beef jerky company because this guy had so many followers. They're like, hey, while you're doing this, can you sell our beef jerky? He's like, oh, sure, why not? So he's selling that and, and he had all these followers on Instagram because he was legit. In other words, people made him out when he died like he was a lunatic. And you do the research, he was not. He was sane. He knew exactly what he was doing and it was part of a plan. He did the paramedic stuff, the adventure stuff, the survival stuff, the theological stuff, linguistic stuff. And then he went to a camp, a missions survival camp. They teach you how to survive in the middle of nowhere. He was one of their best guys. He also would not have a girlfriend. He avoided all romantic attraction or entanglement, as he said, because he said with what he was called to do, he felt he could not have a wife and kids, did not feel like that was God's plan for him. He knew that he could die a martyr and said, I would prefer not to leave a widow and, and kids fatherless. So he chose to embrace the gift that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7. That's not for everyone, God says that, but it is for some. He chose to embrace that gift and said that that's not what God has for me. This guy was literally razor-focused. Razor-focused. And uh, we go through, uh, he, he, he goes out for a couple of survey trips over, over, I think, in 15, 16, 17. Goes all around the island, but not to it. And, and just staging his, his, his whole plan. And then in November, 18, November of 18, he got some fishermen to sneak him past the Coast Guard to drop him off with his kayak. Now you say, wait, sneak past the Coast Guard? Was this illegal? Yes, it was. Was I critical with everybody else at the beginning? Yes, I was. Was I rebuked? Yes, I was. After I researched this and just let the Lord sink this into my heart, I said, wait a minute. Christians have been smuggling the gospel into places illegally since the Apostle Paul from the very beginning. They dropped him off in his kayak. He went out. His first approach, he was able to uh, uh, give some gifts. They tolerated him for a while and then a young a young lad sent an arrow flying his way. He put his Bible up and boom, in the Bible. He pulled it out, gave it back to the lad and then hightailed it out of there. He made it, so he had a couple of days of, of interactions. He journaled everything, his journal. You could tell he was writing for posterity. He, he hoped he would live. He planned on living. That's obvious. But he recognized there was a possibility of death. He was praying that he would go and that they would welcome him. They would lay down those arrows and he'd be able to, to begin to win their trust. He wrote this, I'm scared. Watching the sunset, it's beautiful. He was crying a bit and wondering if it would be the last sunset I see before being in the place where the sun never sets. You guys might think I'm crazy in all this, he wrote, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Is this Satan's last stronghold? A place where none have ever heard or ever had the chance to hear your name? He decided he would make his next attempt without the fishing vessel nearby. Uh, if the approach went badly, he didn't want the fishermen to have to see him die. His diary makes it clear he did not want to die, but accepted the possibility. I think I could be more useful alive, he wrote. But to you, God, I give all the glory of whatever happens. He asked God to forgive any of the people on the island who try to kill me, especially if they succeed. Shortly after, on, on the dawn of November 16th, 2018, that was the last day he was seen alive, John Chow asked the fishermen to drop him off alone. He knew the risks, 
But the people of North Sentinel were damned and he was determined to save them. He struck out once more for sure. And that, that uh, encounter did end up with them turning on him and he was killed with spears and, and, and arrows. Now you look at that and you could say, there, there had to have been a better way. There had to be another way. I mean, maybe he, was, maybe he shouldn't have gone back that last day. Maybe he should have uh, worn a bulletproof vest or you know, yeah, all kinds of things you can think and so forth. But he had spent so much time fasting and praying and he was trusting that God could touch their hearts and they could lay down their arrows and they could receive him. You look at it now and you say, ah, oh, but he died. He was 26. What was it about? Why? Why did you do it? It's because of Malachi 1, verse 11. That's why. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. My journey on this, in 2018, I thought he was crazy. Then when I found out he was a missionary, I thought, well, he had to be a crazy missionary. I, didn't want, I did not want to have to own this guy as one of us. At first, I'm just to be honest with you. And I thought, there's a, no, there had to be something wrong. There had to be something wrong. He messed something up somewhere. And I researched, and, I, and his life is so well documented with his journal. And I have to say, folks, my heart was wrong. This guy had the heart of the Apostle Paul. He had the heart that would say, Lord, you send me, I'll go. And he did not put his personal pleasures ahead of God's will. He was willing to go without. He was willing to not marry if that's what God had for him. He was willing just to say, Lord, I'm yours. But your name is greater than my name. You deserve to be worshipped. You deserve to be magnified in every place. And here's a place that has been walled off. It's got this, even this natural coral reef that keeps ships out. There is no natural harbor. There's no safe place. Just to reach them, you take your life in your hands before you ever face their arrows. He says, this is Satan's last stronghold. This isn't right. And he prepared his whole life to go. And I say, this exemplifies real Christianity. The book of Acts. We might look at John Chow and say, he's a radical. He's reckless. We might actually, if we were transported back to the life of Christ, we may have seen Christ, his disciples, the Apostle Paul, as reckless radicals as well. Where are we at in our walk what is our Christianity to us? What is his name worth to you and to me? Missions is about his name being supreme, his name being worshiped in every place. Oh, may God help us to do our part in seeing that fulfilled. Lord, thank you for your work. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of those who have gone before and made great sacrifices. Uh, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, and John Chow, and so many others, so many others. Lord, may we not think that they have been called to some sacrifice that we would never be called to, or that we're not called to any sacrifice of any nature. Lord, get a hold of our hearts. May this Missions Month be a, a different Missions Month for us, not just one of looking at missionaries over there, but asking ourselves some hard questions back home right here. Lord, touch our hearts. Bring us to surrender. May we be sincere worshipers of you, embracing your supremacy in our life and around the world. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand to your feet as we Respond to the Lord. I'll ask the pianist to play. If God's talking to you, you just need to simply respond. Here, my Lord, send me. Here, my Lord, use me. Forgive me for my pampered uh, attitude, my, my American Christianity, my insincere worship. Whatever God's talking to you about, would you concede and surrender to Him this morning? Take a moment if you would. <clears throat>
I'm going to ask Jason, could you bring up the slide he's playing that starts with, Lord, help me use my, my fleeting breath. Let's sing that phrase to the end. It's in the slide deck somewhere. Lord, help me use my fleeting breath. You know, that song that Andrew played that we sang earlier in the service, even the song itself runs contrary to our American Christianity. I'll be honest with you. The first time I sang the song that's on the screen, it, it, it jarred me. It was jarring, talking about death. And as Christians in America, we just don't live with that. We don't live uh, at, at peril of our lives because of a spear or whatever. But, oh, we need to have a heart that says, Lord, I'm willing for whatever. I want you to use me. Let's sing this to the end. Lord, help me. We look forward to being back tonight at six if you're able to make it for our life groups. And uh, let's just keep praying for one another that God would help us this missions month to surrender our lives to him. Pastor CJ, would you come and dismiss us, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son. That was radical to die in our place. Thank you that he lives evermore to save those who trust in him. And Lord, help us to take up the call to share that good news with the world. Lord, starting right here, maybe our next door neighbor, maybe our family. Father, I pray that because of the work of your church and you working through us, your name would be praised uh, the world throughout. We ask your blessing on this afternoon. Help us to honor you in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless. You're dismissed.